Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette and this is your Locked On Canucks for Sunday, November 17th, the morning after the Canucks pick up a point, but no more in an overtime loss to the Colorado Avalanche, 5-4 the final score, and my goodness, what a game this was. So much to dissect, so much to dive into. It's a game that I told you yesterday had a lot to live up to because this is, uh, you know, the sequel, so to say, to last year's game in November between these two teams when Colorado came into town uh, last year. I believe it was November 2nd, one of the first games of the month. These two teams put on one hell of a show. It was essentially the coming out party for Pedersen and Besser as a duo, and I had uh, a sneaking suspicion that, of course, uh, we might get some magic from those two again here in this one. We ultimately did. Uh, it came with one minute remaining in regulation. It wasn't enough to uh, propel the Canucks to a win, but it was a rare sequel that lived up to the original. It didn't seem like it was going to initially, especially through a first period that you know w- was certainly more exciting than games have been of late, uh, certainly over the course of this homestand. It's funny that this winds up being the first game that uh, the Canucks wound up wearing their black skate jerseys, that it wound up being hashtag free the skate night because this was a game where having played a number of opponents of late, as I talked about yesterday, looking at the troubling trend of Vancouver perhaps not being able to overcome uh, the the difficulties imposed by teams who play a, a plotting, uh, trapping, conservative style. On the night that they freed the skate, the Canucks were also free to skate. Yes, Colorado came into the night uh, with a number of injuries, missing a, a number of key contributors, Miko Rantanen, Gabriel Landeskog, and not just those two top stars, but a bunch of guys down the lineup as well, including their starting goaltender, Philip Grubauer. But, uh, you know, despite that fact, uh, the, the Avs were not necessarily intent on playing as conservative as a team facing injuries like that otherwise might. Yes, they did not trade chances back and forth with Vancouver the way they did necessarily in the game that took place last November. But they did not lock it down the way that we saw from the Dallas Stars, the way that we've seen from the New Jersey Devils, from the St. Louis Blues, from even the Edmonton Oilers, and certainly probably plenty of other opponents that Vancouver has taken on over the course of this season as well. This was an exciting hockey game. You could feel it in the air just watching the game. Even if you happened to be watching it by yourself, you could hear it in the the thrill of the crowd inside Rogers Arena. You could hear it in the voices of the play-by-play commentators calling this one, whether you were watching it with Dave Randorf on Hockey Night in Canada or listening to it with Brendan Batchelor on Sportsnet 650. You could tell that this was a game that was jumping out to the commentators, especially on the radio broadcast, uh, which uh, obviously I am a producer of, so I was intimately familiar with how things went on that front last night. But uh, Batch and Corey Hirsch were absolutely fired up, energized, engaged. There was uh, all kinds of excitement in their voices, and it was you know that much more noticeable even in just listening to the game that this was one worth paying attention to, that this was one where fun things were actually happening. Now, having said that, it was something of a strange game as well, as 
Vancouver probably did not deserve to get a point out of this one in the end. I don't think anybody left Rogers Arena feeling disappointed that the Canucks did not get the win ultimately in the extra frame. I think we all realize that Colorado deserved the two points on this night uh, and certainly the result with uh, Nathan McKinnon just streaking in uh, pretty well uncontested. That's what happens when you are one of the fastest skaters in the game. We see it, of course, with Connor McDavid on a regular basis as well. There's just simply no defending these guys. You cannot catch them. You cannot keep up with them, at least not uh, when Quinn Hughes is on the bench to start overtime because Vancouver elected to try and put out three guys who, yes, have some offensive upside, I suppose, uh, two forwards certainly in JT Miller and Bo Horvat, but a defenseman in Chris Tanev. Horvat and Tanev out there for one reason in particular to key in on uh, the Nathan McKinnon factor. McKinnon, of course, already had two points in the game to that point, a power play goal of his own back in the second period, and then an assist not long after that goal where he did all of the work along the wall to draw all kinds of attention onto him along the boards and then just feed it for an easy tap-in out front to Andre Burakovsky. This is uh, an Avs team that has... Better depth, certainly, than they did last year uh, as they were rightly criticized heading into the playoffs as a one-line team. But what a line! And even with two-thirds of that line being on the injured reserve at the moment, they are still quite a team to watch, uh, especially, my goodness, Kale McCarr. Uh, You know, I I tweeted last night from the Locked On account that it it is a farce that we are even considering that Quinn Hughes is – contending for rookie of the year this year because that Calder trophy may as well already be locked up for Kale McCarr. He is leading all rookies in scoring as a defenseman and he is making real, genuine, viable, tangible impacts on these games night after night. Some of his passes in this game, for example, a cross-ice feed to set up Nazem Kadri to walk in along the left side and uh, beat Thatcher Demko blocker side, uh, which happens to be a common theme as far as the way guys were beating Thatcher Demko last night, though I don't know if that's anything to really key in on as far as a criticism of Demko, given that two of those shots are coming from Nathan McKinnon. And honestly, what are you going to do no matter where he elects to shoot? He is simply that darn good. Now, I don't build up Kale McCarr like that to slag Quinn Hughes, I did mention on the show yesterday that I did feel like Hughes had been struggling of late or at least had gone quiet for much of the month of November and nobody was really criticizing him for it because, you know, I think we all appreciate what Quinn Hughes brings to the lineup on a night-to-night basis, even when he's being quiet, even when the power play is not working the way it had earlier in the year, perhaps. Uh, The fact that he's doing this all as a rookie Look, not every rookie can be Elias Pettersson, and not every rookie can be Kale McCarr either because, you know what, Kale McCarr is a year older than Quinn Hughes. Kale McCarr was chosen uh, in the Elias Pettersson draft a couple years back, and in fact, there was all kinds of talk that if he had been available, if he was not drafted by Colorado right in front of the Canucks, that Vancouver would have selected Kale McCarr ahead of Elias Pettersson. And as much as I feel like, the entire city of Vancouver breathes a sigh of relief hearing that story that we did wind wind up with Elias Pettersson in the end. Ultimately, uh, I'm I'm not sure. Like there is a compelling argument to be made that 
Kale McCarr might have been the right choice there because finding a defenseman who can do the things that he does at the age that he's at with the poise and composition and uh, just confidence to do what he does night in and night out, that is a nearly impossible thing to find. But you do have to admit when you are looking at Quinn Hughes's game and comparing them both perhaps that there is uh, you know, something of a difference in where they're at in their development curve with Makar uh, an extra year in university or, or college, as the case may be, uh, to develop further physically and mentally and uh, deliver the goods in a significant way in Colorado thus far this season. It is just baffling, stupid to think about how good that back end is going to be for the Avs in a few years when they add Bowen Byram from the Vancouver Giants as well as uh, if you're in Vancouver and you haven't been out to the Langley Events Center to watch the Giants and see what Bowen Byram brings to the table on a night-in and night-out basis, uh, you owe it to yourself to do exactly that. Still, having criticized him after Thursday night's action, I thought Quinn Hughes had himself a nice bounce-back game on Saturday night against the Avs, and I'll tell you more about it on the other side. Where were we? Oh, yes, Quinn Hughes, and a good night for him once again. That probably has a lot to do with what I mentioned earlier, the fact that uh, the Canucks were free to skate, skate, skate. Yes, they uh, freed their skates on the same night they freed the skate, uh, being able to play a more up-tempo, fast-paced style that uh, you know a, a team like Nashville maybe or a team like the Dallas Stars simply does not allow. This was the first kind of wide-open game of this four-game homestand, and uh, Quinn Hughes was able to put his skating on display with a couple of good rushes, one of which uh, led to a fantastic JT Miller chance, I believe was in the second period, but uh, he was just much more noticeable in this game, and it's because it was the kind of game that led to his skill set being on display. Now, his skill set led to what led me to say that this was a weird game as well because exactly what happened to the Canucks in Winnipeg against the Jets last week is what happened to the Colorado Avalanche uh, when Alex Edler scored late in the third period with a little over three minutes to go in regulation to allow the Canucks to pull within one. It was a 4-3 goal uh, after the Avs had pulled ahead in the third with the goalie pulled with the net empty. Vancouver controlled the play in the Colorado zone, and because they were controlling the play to such an extent, Play was not blown dead when an Elias Pettersson attempt at the net of Antoine Bebo. I can't believe I haven't said his name yet on the episode. What a fun name that is to say. Antoine Bebo. Uh, yes, the Avs addressing. I, I don't even know if he's their backup. Might even be their third string goalie. This is a guy who couldn't hack it as the backup in Toronto a couple years ago at a time when the Leafs desperately needed anyone to be their backup goalie. Antoine Bebo winds up being the victor the victorious goaltender against the Canucks on Saturday night. But uh, uh, Pedersen took a shot that hit off the head of Matt Calvert, struck him in the side of the head, and he went down hard. He was bleeding on the ice. Play, however, continued on because very similar to the Tanev situation in Winnipeg where it was abundantly obvious that Chris Tanev could not get off the ice on his own volition. He couldn't even drift back to the bench. He decided to stay out there and just stand on the ice as if 
you know, somehow he could put his body in front of a shot again and just be a, a warrior like that to uh, try and do anything that he could to stop pucks from getting towards the Vancouver net. He should not have been put in that position, and Matt Calvert should not have been put in a position where he's just lying dead on the ice as the Canucks continue to control the puck. Now, Pedersen, for his part, basically stopped playing at this point after his shot hit off the head of Calvert and Calvert crumpled. He looked to the refs like, come on, are you going to stop play or what? They did not because the rule apparently, it's up to the official's discretion, but the official rule is that unless the Avs take possession of the puck, play will continue because uh, the Canucks, I don't even understand the, honestly, like the the spirit of the rule here because you've essentially created a power play opportunity where, you know, it's especially exasperated in a situation like we saw last night. Vancouver has six skaters on the ice. Colorado should have five but are down to four because one of their guys is just bleeding out of his head. And, like, it's not just a six-on-four at that point. You've basically made it a a six-on-three-and-a-half or a six-on-three because mentally Calvert's teammates are kind of checking out as well out of concern for their teammate who has just taken a puck to the side of the head point blank off the stick of Elias Pettersson, who I'm sure you're well aware can shoot the puck pretty darn hard. If I am am of the mind that that is not something that should have happened to Chris Tanev in Winnipeg, then I have to concede it's not something that should happen to Matt Calvert in Vancouver. But uh, after Elias Pettersson basically stopped trying to shoot the puck, stopped trying to make plays, and looked to the officials to blow play dead, Quinn Hughes did make a pretty significant play, a hell of a pass to set up Alex Edler uh, for a, an easy tap-in goal of his own. A great play from Quinn Hughes, but you know, as much as you like to see the spirit that the Canucks showed in this game to climb back in it, especially with uh, Besser scoring the tying goal along the side of the net uh, with exactly 60 seconds left on the clock. You know, it was a it was a you know wonderful game. It was extremely exciting. It was the spiritual sequel, as I said, to last year's November game between these two teams. But there was something about that Quinn Hughes pass to Alex Edler, the Edler goal that pulled the Canucks within one and ultimately allowed them to tie it and force overtime. That just did not feel right, couldn't sit right with you. Karmically, the Canucks did not deserve to win that game. The The Avalanche did definitely deserve the two points on the night. And uh, in the end, of course, uh, karma comes around because it's Nathan McKinnon who goes out there with uh, a heck of a, a play in overtime to make sure that his team walked away with the two points. And in fact, Nathan McKinnon joined Scott Oak after the fact on Hockey Night in Canada and was asked about the Calvert injury. Nathan, the guess is you got somewhere to go tonight because it looked like you weren't intent on having that overtime go any more than 30 or 40 seconds. Yeah, Rick, uh, I mean, it's tough letting them tie it up. Uh, I think we're all pretty determined that we wanted to end that quickly. You know, with, I mean, that rule is pretty crazy. Uh, a guy laying there bleeding out to the side of his head. Um, I can only imagine if that was LeBron James and his head was bleeding and they let that their team other take a three-point to tie up the game. I know it's not the ref's fault. It's the league rule. Um, but uh, I think you got to look and see who's laying on the ice. Matt Calvert, one of the toughest guys I've ever played with. And 
I don't think he's faking it. Try to get a whistle. Yeah, no, fair point. Very fair point, Scott Oak. And hang on a second. Did did Nathan McKinnon just say frig in his post-game interview on CBC? Can we can we play that back? Can we hear that one more time? I think I think he just said frig. Yeah, uh, frig, I mean. He did. He did say frig. In the non-televised interviews, however, the Avalanche were a lot more forthcoming, a lot more uh, expletive, let's say. It's a fucking joke. I just can't imagine another sport letting that happen. What if he laid there and died on the ice? And honestly, valid questions. Though, thank you, Nathan McKinnon, for watching your language on national television. Thank you for saying frig on Hockey Night in Canada. I think you just became one of my favorite players. Um, an emotional roller coaster, obviously, in this one because the Avs, happy to get the win, but uh, had to watch a teammate to go into a, a very difficult circumstance along the way before ultimately uh, climbing back out on top in overtime. And speaking of roller coasters, let's talk about uh, riding Space Mountain. Woo! If you know what I'm saying, fellas. Let's talk about sex. Remember the days when you were always raring to go, those teenage years where uh, <laughs> there were never any problems? Well, uh, you can get back to that and get a little extra confidence in bed as well. Listen up. I'm going to tell you how right now. It's BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the moment strikes you. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants a little extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. <laughs> They'll not only get you back to the postseason, you might go to round two, three, all the way to round four as well. Now, Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. You don't have to come up with a reason to tell your doctor why you need the thing. You can simply have it. They are made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy as well. Right now, we've got a special offer for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo Promo code locked on. All you have to pay is $5 shipping. Again, that's B L U E chew.com. Promo code locked on to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Quinn Hughes, however, not the only Canuck to play very well in this game. In fact, I've perhaps been burying the lead a little bit here because I think you know it's a favorite pet topic around this show one player in particular who I am not exactly the most reliable narrator on I might not be the most trustworthy guy as far as uh, telling you that this guy played exceptionally well and you gotta believe me because I criticize him when he doesn't no I have not criticized him one single time all season long and in fact I have gone out of my way to pick apart why the criticisms of him have never made any sense at all to me that player of course is none other than Sven Berchi because the Vancouver Canucks got what might have been, in fact, not might have, I'm going to come out flat out say it, the best performance of the season that we have seen thus far from Vancouver's, uh, you know, 
third line wasteland to get back to the terminology that Tom Drance dropped on this show uh, at some point last month. Uh, you know, the the toxic swamp of the third line that had infected Bo Horvat's line as well as you were uh, robbing Bo to pay Brandon as far as switching up wingers to try and find some sort of solution on that third line. Uh, this is a, a blessing in disguise to be, you know, hit with all these injuries at the moment because we got to see a third line uh, trio that is a trio that I've been wanting to see for a little while here of late. Of course, you know, this is a drum that I've been banging right from the very first episode of this podcast. We're now 32 deep in these things, and I have been very clear all along that the only thing that I want to see from the Vancouver Canucks is three scoring lines. Give me three lines that can score, and yes, that might require putting a bunch of checking responsibilities onto Bo Horvat's second line unit, but hey, I am willing to make that sacrifice as far as Bo Horvat productivity perhaps at 5-on-5 five five, when he is able to go out and do things like nullify Nathan McKinnon as a 5-on-5 five five scoring threat. Nathan McKinnon was held very quiet uh, at 5-on-5. Five five. He did most of his damage on the power plane, of course, in 3-on-3 three three overtime, and that's because Bo Horvat was being hard-matched against Nathan McKinnon every step of the way throughout last night's action. Bo has gotten very good at that, and you know I talked quite a bit earlier in the week and over the weekend last week as well about the fact that Brandon Sutter's 5-on-5 success is being driven at this point this season by the uh, the man that he's playing with, the fact that he's playing with Josh Levo and that Josh Levo is a board-battling machine in terms of just constantly coming up with pucks and driving play into the offensive zone. That is what Josh Levo has been tremendously good at at uh, you know, this season, over the course of this season. And when that's translating to five-on-five scoring success for Brandon Sutter in a essentially fourth-line easy competition role where he is not being asked to check anyone, he's basically matching up against the lightest competition that the other team can possibly throw at him. If that's leading to scoring success for Brandon Sutter, imagine the kind of success you could have with a line like that with guys on that line who are actually good at generating offense. Brandon Sutter is, you know, passable at these things. But Adam Gaudet, Adam Gaudet actually has a ceiling, a, a, pr- a pretty high ceiling as far as what he can do offensively, especially as he continues to find his touch at the National Hockey League level. And Sven Berchi is a quality playmaker with a deceivingly good shot of his own as well. And Gaudet and Berchi have proven chemistry that was established in training camp over the course of the preseason. I don't want to come back to this story again and again and bang this drum all season long, but the fact that Furland is out of the lineup right now and the fact that Sutter is out of the lineup right now, yes, it's not great when you're also missing a huge chunk of your fourth line, and we'll get to that in just a second, but the fact that there is a situation that injuries have opened up an opportunity to bring Adam Gaudet back from the minors Yes, it is almost unthinkable on a night where he scored two fantastic goals and got the second unit power play to actually look strong for the first time all season long uh, that this is a guy who was in the minors 
two weeks ago before this team hit a rash of injuries on the California road trip. Impossible to believe that. Sven Berchi as well. I know he's only got two points in his last five games, but he has been an important part of cultivating Adam Gaudet's offensive game at the NHL level as well. Those two guys play very well together, and the team should want to try to keep them together. And Josh Levo is adding an ingredient to that mix as well. Look, there's a reason why Travis Green felt comfortable going to the second unit power play in the tail end of the second period when Adam Gaudet scored uh, to make it a 3-2 game at that point with just one second remaining on the clock in the middle frame. It's because that line was generating offensive chances at even strength. Yes, all of their production came on the man advantage, but they had chance after chance after chance at 5-on-5. Sven Berchi's playmaking played into that. Uh, Josh Levo's board-battling ability played into that. The three of them have chemistry already. I want to see this trio get a real consistent, solid run uh, over the course of this six-game road trip as long as Sutter is going to be out of the lineup, as long as Furland is going to be out of the lineup. That is three guys that you should not be separating because they gave you an actually dangerous third line for the first time that you've seen all season long. And the Canucks, you know, when we talk about freeing the skate and being free to run, free to skate and free to generate offense against a team that actually, uh, you know, wasn't clogging up the middle and allowing, uh, you know, chances to go back and forth. It was beautiful. It was just as beautiful as the jerseys themselves, watching what that trio was able to do against Colorado last night. They were spectacular. They were the best third-line unit that Vancouver has iced all season long. You do, however, miss very much at the moment Tyler Mott and Jay Beagle. Those are two guys that I am very much looking forward to getting off of the injured reserve because you look at the ice time and what is being asked of Bo Horvat uh, in games like last night. Bo Horvat, with about four minutes remaining in the third period, had taken 25 of his team's faceoffs on the night and won 88% of them. 22 of 25, Bo Horvat was incredible on the draw last night, but he was being asked to do too much. He played nearly 26 minutes of last night's action, finished 81% in the face-off circle, 6 minutes and 12 seconds of power play time, 3.03 on the PK as well, and it's just too much. You need to be taking down some of that ice, but you can't right now because you have a fourth line that you simply do not trust at all. Louis Erickson played 647 over the course of last night's action, including 212 on the penalty kill, so about 430 at even strength, which is not good at all. That's a minute and a half of even strength ice time, essentially two even strength shifts per period. Meanwhile, Tyler Grauvac. 246 of ice in the entire game. Travis Green does not trust this guy as far as he can throw him. When you play 246 in an entire game, you just took one shift per period. That is not going to help the guys who are having to take on the minutes to shoulder the load in the absence of a fourth line that can do anything 
at all. Now, Green did not switch up the lines as much as he had uh, in previous games, but he still kind of did because he needed to find time for Tim Schaller to get out there. Now, Schaller only played 10-20 on the night, 4.30 of that being PK time, which means he only played, I guess, about four minutes away from uh, from Louis Erickson. And when you account for their uh, discrepancy in penalty-killing time, really closer to uh, maybe two and a half minutes, two minutes, basically, that he didn't play with Louis Erickson. So uh, there just must have been a different center out there with those two guys uh, possibly Adam Goddett, possibly JT Miller even double-shifting as Miller's minutes over the course of the night were up to 23.50 as well. The top line, the top stars of this team right now are being asked to do too much, and it's because there is no depth to support them. Tyler Mott and Jay Beagle cannot come back soon enough. Now, is there a way to keep that third line together, to keep Berchi and Gaudette in this lineup, even when guys start to come back from injury? Is there a way as well to perhaps alleviate some of the pressure uh, on Bo Horvat as far as face-off responsibilities are concerned? Is there any concern about the fact that Elias Pedersen is not being counted on to hardly take any draws at all? Those, my friends, are topics for tomorrow's show when we will look at uh, the fact that a certain scout was on the list in a game at the Bell Center last night as well. Plenty more to dive into, plenty more to dissect from a very eventful night for the Canucks Saturday as they fall 5-4 to four against the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, be sure to join me tomorrow, Monday, when I discuss, of course, all of those topics that I just outlined. And until then, I would ask you to please rate and review the program wherever you happen to get it in your podcast app and uh and come on back tomorrow you hear tell people that the show exists as well if you like it and think that they might like it too until then i have been and will continue to be justin morissette and you've been locked in on locked on canucks part of the locked on podcast network